The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, or opinions of Foundry Digital LLC, its parent company, or any of its affiliates. Any material or information presented here is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as advice of any kind. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Foundry Digital LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Foundry Decentralized, the official podcast from Foundry. I'm your host, Jenna Robinson. And today I am joined by Ian Humes, who is a product manager here at Foundry, and Lucas Kohorst, who is our engineering manager. Um, and they are going to be discussing SSV and DVT and what that means for decentralization and Ethereum. Um, and they're here with us this week because last week we announced um, Foundry's designation as a mainnet verified operator within the SSV network. So thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I would love to hear a little bit about your background and how you came into the space before we dive in. Sweet, yeah, so I'll go into an intro first. Um, I'm Ian, I'm a product manager here at Foundry, focused specifically on the e-staking ecosystem. So that means all things uh, vanilla staking and things like DVT and other various initiatives. To get into how I got initially into crypto, it's a funny story. So I was in crypto uh, passively, I would say, for a few years. Um, and then it was actually the guy on the podcast here with me, Lucas, who mm -hmm. um, first kind of introduced me more so to like the different niches of crypto. So first it was DeFi. Um, and then from there, I started to, you know, explore all the different fascinating corners of the ecosystem. Um, so ever since then, I've been just diving into various niches. Now I'm on e-staking. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that um, Lucas brought you in here. That's such a funny coincidence. Um, yep. Yeah, in, in crypto and foundry, so. Into crypto and a foundry. All right, Lucas, thank you for that. We're, we're happy to have Ian. Yeah, absolutely. And I can give a quick intro on myself as well. Uh, so I've been in the space since like late 2017, early 2018. Um, and I initially got involved with it because I was just building like, a, like an app um, in, in college and uh, realized like I needed uh, some way to uh, handle like micropayments uh, for it. Um, and the, you know, I, like I actually started like seeing, like finding out about stuff and within DeFi, like say Blear and like streaming payments and, and thought that that made a lot more sense um, for, for what I was doing, um, which was uh, like renting out like streaming subscriptions. Um, so I just kind of got into into the space from there and, and kind of fell down the rabbit hole for the last like five or six years now. Very cool. Well, thank you for sitting down with me today. Um, I know that you guys are kind of the experts when it comes to SSV and DBT. So I'm really looking forward to getting like a crash course on it from you both. Um, so, so yeah, like I said, um, last week we we made that announcement um, that Foundry was designated as a mainnet verified operator within SSV. And I just kind of wanted to to understand a little bit more about what that means and, and what SSV is doing. Yeah, sure. So I could take that one. Um, so I guess in a nutshell, SSV is this DVT network, uh, distributed validator technology, um, and its primary goal is to uh, add that kind of uh, extra layer of, I would say, resilience to 
to um, Ethereum's validation process. This is done by essentially sharding or splitting the keys uh, across operators like us. Um, and essentially what this means is that what was traditionally run by a single party uh, can now be split across multiple entities called operators, like I said. Um, and they're essentially responsible for managing these day-to-day -day operations of the validator, um, kind of bypassing those technical hurdles in a lot of these solo sacred states. Uh, and this definitely cuts down on the risk and the single point of failure. That's a common concern I've seen across how validators operate right now. Um, and additionally, I'd say it adds that uh, extra advantage if if one operator has has some issues, possibly others can step in and run things smoothly. And it also allows for diversification of um, various like stacks within the validator ecosystem. So that could be geography, um, the client and the server type or, or infrastructure type. So whether it's mm -hmm. cloud, bare metal, et cetera. Sure, sure. That's an extra advantage. So it sounds like what SSV does is really just enhance the security and the, the reliability of the network. Is, is that kind of accurate? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, essentially. It's kind of like a, mm -hmm. I think of it like a different way to run an validator where multiple companies are kind of contributing uh, to the success of that one validator. And that, mm -hmm. that adds the advantage of, like I said, like diversification. You can run multiple different clients uh, and one goes down, the others can pick it up, et cetera. Things like that. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. So the the main net verified operator designation that we announced last week, um, how how was that achieved? Is is it something that others achieve? And and if so, how how are they able to do that? Yeah, sure. So um, this main net verified operator program is something that SSV is obviously rolling out, like we've seen for the limited main net launch. Um, but I'd say it's a combination of a bunch of different aspects like performance and more so probably uh, support throughout these various SSV testnet phases, which they've went through a couple of them throughout the years before this mainnet launch. So there's been a lot of work put into it. Um, but we've been backing SSV for quite some time now, participating in the various testnets and ensuring we have very high performance. Uh, and I'd like to think that those things were... Uh, played a role in getting us that designation. Okay. Okay. So, so not everyone can be a verified operator. Um, so, if you're not a, a verified operator, if you don't have that designation, how do you participate in what SSV is doing? Because it sounds like it's something really exciting and important that people would want to to join in on, but but not might not have the qualifications that that Foundry and and others do. Yeah, so right now, at least in the operator um, piece of the ecosystem, SSV picked a uh, select few op select few operators to move forward with them for this mainnet launch, just this limited mainnet launch, just to ensure everything uh, is operating smoothly. But there's obviously a couple different players um, who can participate and benefit from SSV. I would say the main one would be stakers um, and mainly like solo stakers. Uh, who aim to bypass some of these technical hurdles like I talked about of just generally running a validator uh, and they can offload some of that to operators um, with that obviously increased benefit where you could pick a couple trusted parties to manage your validator and you don't have to do it yourself. So 
think that's one of the main players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got the staking pools, which are obviously could stand to benefit from from this tech to just generally reduce risk across their operator set. Um, and we've seen pools like Lido doing this, who are testing out SSV um, and Obol, and and we were on the early participants for them on testnet related to SSV. So there's definitely a couple ways you can benefit from SSV without being an operator. Yeah, it sounds like it. So what's the benefit to to participating in that? What's the kind of the bigger picture, the the overarching vision of SSV? Yeah, uh, it kind of goes into what I said previously, but essentially I just see it as a way to challenge how traditional perceptions of kind of how validators operate. Um, so I think the main benefits, if I was, if I was thinking about them would be, uh, reduction in slashing risk. Obviously, um, the main setup with single parties is an active passive setup. So, uh, some issues you can, can arise in, in the failover procedures here. You could just run an active active setup across multiple parties. Uh, so that could significantly reduce slashing risks, uh, due to like key mismanagement. Um, and then also you have, like I talked about, like multiple parties contributing to the success of that validator. I almost see it as like a, um, we've seen this, like, uh, I guess, meta of splitting, splitting stake, obviously to harden the network. This is kind of like a, a way I see of essentially splitting stake. Obviously you're splitting validator keys, but mm-hmm. it allows like, um, parties to utilize a bunch of different angles when they're, when they're looking to run a validator. Okay. That makes sense because I hear a lot about reducing slashing risks and and spreading the stakes. So um, I do want to take a step back because I, I asked you about the overarching vision of SSV, but we also talked about how SSV is a, a leader in DVT and I kind of dive in a little bit deeper on what DVT is. And I know, Lucas, you you have a lot of expertise around that. Do you want to jump in and maybe talk to us about DVT? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. Um, yeah. So I, like, I think like it, it can first be, um, be kind of helpful to like contextualize like what it, it means to to operate a um, like redundant uh, like like validator uh, maybe like at, at like an institutional level right so like you kind of have a few options um, before you know you 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 start moving like into something like DBT right uh, like first uh, there's kind of like the super like vanilla option which is kind of also like what home stakers you know would would do uh, which is just kind of like operating your uh the, the various components of your stack um on kind of like a single machine um you know right like whether that's like in your house or like in some data center with some like redundant data supplies and, and internet and stuff right and, and all of that's helpful um second is kind of running, which would that would just be like a single active setup right second would be like we're operating uh what would be like a active passive setup which might mean where you kind of have um two or three machines uh, in, in different data centers, different geographies, uh, kind of all set up, all ready to go, right? They, they probably kind of have their the, the various keys loaded and, and, and ready to go, but, um, you know, maybe require like certain passwords or, or whatever to uh, actually like start, start, um, like start the process, uh, you know, so you can be protected from like slashing risk and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That would be active passive. 
Um, additionally, like if you wanted to, rather than like having just like the, the passwords on the, or the keys on like each individual machine, you could kind of like abstract that into like a single like secret store or, or, or manager outside of that, right? Um, then you kind of start moving into like active active setups, right? Uh, which can be like self-contained within a, a single company. Like they don't have to be trustless setups, right? Obviously, DBT is a is a trustless uh, active active setup. Um, but like I think back like a few years ago, before um, before Certus before Certus One was was acquired by uh, by Jump, uh, they were working on this platform uh, called Janus, I think, um, which was for Cosmos based. Uh, chains um, that employed like an active active setup uh, internally, right? So you obviously have to trust the individual operators, but you could deploy like like three, five, seven, whatever, um, uh, like validators that are all hot, all active, all have signing keys live. Um, and, you know, through some type of like leader follower rotation, like I think like uh, Janice used, used Raft for, for their consensus, uh, you know, only one of them goes through and, and the keys go through, right? And then that's great for like internal company usage. Um, mm -hmm. But then if you want to kind of go one step further um, and actually have like redundancy uh, and, and like reducing like counterparty risk across individual like operators and individual companies, right? Then you can start looking at like a trustless uh, active active solution like DBT. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden now you have, uh, you know, benefits in the hardware stack, right? Like people might be running different consensus layer, execution layer clients. Um, you have redundancy likely in, in, in geography and like data center locations and, and like hardware. Um, and you have redundancy in actual like individual operators or companies. Right. So like, you know, if like one company were to go bankrupt or, or you know, decide to like shut down certain staking processes, they have uh, you, you, your your stake is is, um, you know, would still be active with, with the other companies. So do when individual node operators do, do they run the risk of missing rewards when they're not using DVT? Is that what I kind of heard there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, if, if they don't have, you know, some type of redundancy in their stack, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think like the the common thing is, is you know, a lot of like solo stakers might just be like operating their 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 validator like in, in a cloud provider like AWS or, or maybe even like on a Raspberry Pi at their house or something like that, right? Um, and, you know, for, for whatever it could be like internet outage at their house or, or like AWS outage and like US East 2 or something like that, mm -hmm. um, you know, those outages would would result in in, in loss of rewards, mm -hmm. um, you know, given that the, the validator wouldn't be like actively uh, attesting or or proposing. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, from there, you know, maybe they, they don't care about it that much. But if they do, then they should start thinking about like what redundancies are needed, mm -hmm. right? I feel like often maybe like as a as a um, as a solo staker, you know, that's not you're not really like a you know you're just kind of by yourself doing it as a hobby almost. Um, like it doesn't it, it seems like a lot of extra work to to take on it to build out your own active passive setup mm -hmm. where you're doing the manual failover yourself um and let alone it's you know it can be quite expensive mm -hmm. uh to kind of operate these like additional uh like nodes um you know especially given kind of just like low or like on average like uh, apy on, on eth compared to like other proof of stake protocols right sure. um 
to, to where like it makes a lot of sense to kind of like outsource a lot of this uh, to a uh, DBT protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, you know, eventually like, like right, right, right now it did like, uh, SSV is, is, is permission for, for the operator set, but like eventually like as they, uh, kind of open up, uh, their, their, their operator set, right. Um, or, or on Obo that has, uh, that open, uh, now, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can be a individual validator, like your your Raspberry Pi or house alongside institutional staking providers, you know, like like us, like uh, Block Damon, like Figment. Um, and you guys can all kind of like work together to to fulfill the, the duties of the validator. Sure. I'm glad you brought up AWS and the cloud and setting up your own validators. Uh, And I just want to go back to that for a second, because in our first episode of Foundry Decentralized, we spoke with Ksenia Lifanova, and she had some great insights around the decentralization of Ethereum and how getting off the cloud and setting up your own validators is, is important for that decentralization. So I recommend that anyone who wants to learn more about that goes back and, and gives that episode a listen. And I know we'll also be um, having a blog published around that soon as well. So uh, a lot of great resources around uh, a decentralization of Ethereum for anyone who is looking to learn more about that. Um, but I want to get back into to your point, Lucas, um, because you talked a lot about redundancy. And I just want to kind of hone in on the importance of redundancy. Can you just dive a little deeper on that for me? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, so like if we're starting like at the bottom uh, of of the of the you know of the stack, I guess like you know each each validator um, you know has like a consensus layer and an execution layer client, right? Um, I, we had seen on some of the like super super early test nets. Um, uh, like, you know, like obviously like prior to the merge and stuff, um, various like bugs within Prism called like uh, cause like chain halts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously those were all fixed and stuff and, you know, the merge went through very successfully and all that. But like, uh, while when you're just operating like one client um, for, for each the EL and CL, uh, you, you can pose like single client uh, like risk to where like if there's a bug um, in it, you know, your, your validator is, is at risk to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so by maybe like interacting with like four or, or using like four distinct operators, each which have uh, like differentiated um, like uh, execution and consensus layer stacks. Right. You can kind of like distribute that risk out. Right. Because like if, okay. if, if one of the operators uh, is, is using a client that uh, has some has some bugs in it, you know, the others aren't and, and you'll still be able to fulfill your duties. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the like co- like common theme throughout the in, the entire uh, redundancy, uh, you know, like topic here. Right. So like going up from the execution and, and consensus layer and, and the clients and stuff. Right. Then you might like want to like talk about like the hardware that your validator is operating on. Mm-hmm. Right there could be, um, you know, there there could be like whatever problem with like certain types of, of hardware. Um, I, ideally, as you are, are using other operators, you are using different types of hardware um, in different locations, um, and even like in different uh, like types of providers. Right, like maybe like a few of them are, are operating across various clouds, like ones in AWS, ones in Google Cloud, right, and then you add in a few others that are kind of like direct 
you know, bare metal, like working with like data, like specific data centers, right? Like ones like working with like latitude um, or, or, or something like that or, or, or switch or whatever. Um, and, you know, maybe then you even get out there to where the, the, the last operator you have is hardware that you physically own yourself mm-hmm. or, or working with a company that, that physically owns the hardware it, itself as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on the geography risk, you know, or, or actually before we get to the geography risk, like, uh, you know, one, one interesting anecdote is like about a year ago, so, um, you know, Hessner, which was like a super popular, uh, like hosting provider, um, specifically for, for Solana validators, um, just given its location and, and the fact that there was already a good amount of Solana validators there, it, it makes a lot of sense to, to operate other ones. Um, they actually kicked out uh, all Solana validators from from their data center and, and like sent like notices to all of the companies that were operating them. Um, you know, it. it I want to say like it, it was it was part of one of the like chain outages on, on Solana as like they had like 30 or 40 percent of all validators or something like that were operating there. You know, now they're all uh, nice um, and decentralized across various mm-hmm. data centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like that would be a risk that you pose, right? Like, yeah. you know, it seems pretty far out. But like, you know, if AWS said like no more ETH validators or something are, are, are allowed on our uh, cloud platform, right? That we'd be talking about like 40 percent of uh, of all validators would have to kind of go and find a new location, right? Yeah. Um, if, if you were using uh, DBT like operators, Right, maybe only like one or two of your operators are using AWS, and then the other two can uh, fulfill your duties while you're waiting for the two that got kicked out from from the given data center to to migrate to a new solution. Thank you for that. That really helps um, to kind of expand on the importance of spreading the stake. We say it all the time, we hear it all the time, but you don't really get it until you hear like what is the the downfall of not spreading the stake um so a lot of the common themes that we've talked about have been you know spreading the stake reducing slashing um redundancy what is what can people do to to push dbt forward or or how can somebody get involved in in continuing to help push this technology forward because it sounds important and it, and it sounds like something that people would want to get involved in. Yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of like one of those things like, you know, like outside of like SV and oval communities um, and, and outside of kind of like, um, like institutional like staking providers and stuff. Like I feel like most it's, this isn't really on most people's like radar at mm-hmm. all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're much more um, familiar with just like, like, liquid staking trends and, and and just like other like trends within within like the DeFi ecosystem and stuff rather than kind of like uh this technology that's kind of like core to like the infrastructure mm-hmm. right um so i think like you know one like i i, I do feel that like dbt is going to be uh very nicely integrated within stake pools like uh like lido um and you know given lido is is already such a large percentage of stake um you know that will kind of be the, the majority of the uh, like integration or, or like usage of DBT, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is 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 really uh, nice and, and important. I think that you know slowly as these uh, DBT protocols kind of like come online and are like you know opened up to to kind of everyone, you know, almost all institutional staking providers will kind of join on them as well, mm-hmm. right? And so then 
when you're talking about all of Lido and a majority of the institutional staking providers, you're talking about most of the stake, right? I think it's it's kind of uh, one of these like technologies or, or trends that are like super quiet and kind of like behind the scenes, mm -hmm. right? But like, it'll just kind of slowly be integrated sure. um, in, in, into the stack. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. I hope, I hope that we do see that. I hope that institutions can continue to move that forward. Unfortunately, I do have to stop our conversation there, but I do want to give you guys a chance for any um, last closing thoughts. Lucas, Ian? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, conducting the podcast. Lucas definitely gave some great points about DVT as well. Uh, and overall, I'm just generally excited to have Foundry participating in the SSV limited mainnet launch uh, and beyond. And then post the limited mainnet launch, stay tuned for uh, when it opens, as we kind of would be glad to have you choose us as an operator. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and we will, of course, be be making an announcement when that time comes. So everybody stay tuned for that. And again, thank you so much, Ian and Lucas, for your time and your expertise. It was invaluable. So I thank you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Looking forward to being on next time. Yes, me too. Thanks. Thanks, guys. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, or opinions of Foundry Digital LLC, its parent company, or any of its affiliates. Any material or information presented here is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as advice of any kind. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Foundry Digital LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent.